Thanks for checking out the New Life Christian Center podcast. We post audio and video of our messages at newlifeeckley.com, and we encourage you to share our messages with others. Enjoy. So, so how do we respond to authority? And you can say, well, I do good with God. I just don't do good with other people. Well, how will God trust you with his stuff if he can't trust you with man's stuff? There's a scripture in the Gospels about that. And so my point in, in touching all of this is just to, to begin to get a level of curiosity and a wide-eyed either understanding or searching that goes into your own heart that says, I'm willing. Because we are oftentimes willing, but we're only willing oftentimes in things that make sense to us or end up happening our way. You know, we're, we're willing sometimes to, to, to give to people when we might subconsciously have something to gain out of it. So it's extraordinarily difficult for us to really process our willingness. But again, it's to be positively inclined to respond to authority. So that happens in parenting. That happens in work. That happens in biblical truths. It happens in your relationship with God. Occasionally what God does in all of our lives is to take us to a place to prove to us our unwillingness or our willingness. I'm convinced God says some things to us, some things to some of us, just to see if we're willing. Just to show us. He see, if God is all-knowing, and I believe that He is, He's not trying to prove something to Him, right? When God asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God lost him, right? It was so that Adam would realize. And Adam said, well, we're right over here hiding from you. Now, when, when that realization comes up and you realize that you're hiding from the truth of God, it probably shouldn't be a great revelation, right? It should be something that should frighten us in that fear and trembling kind of thing. Because we need to work out our salvation with that same fear and trembling. Yep. You, you, are you understand what I'm saying? We go through things both in our immaturity. Come on, how many of you had God, had God talk to you or do something when you were less mature than you are now and you pitched a fit? I mean, you had a two-year-old roll in the mud. I'm going to hold my breath till I die if you don't change your mind. How many of you as mature people heard it, never changed on the outside, but on the inside, man, you were having a full knockdown with God saying, ain't no way I'm doing that. Now, nobody else knows about it, right? But you are nose to nose with God. And I'm, see, maybe God doesn't deal with you this way, but occasionally what I experience is that finger of God in my chest. You ever met a bully? Now, I'm not saying God's a bully, okay? But, but occasionally what God does with strong-willed people is just get in their face. You say, well, God is grace. That's grace to you. There are a great number of people in this church who come to me, and the first thing that they say to me in asking for help is, I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to tell me something that it might hurt. They love the in your, so not everybody does, right? When, when in our last church, people used to come to Tracy on a pretty regular basis and say to her, Pastor Glenn doesn't like us. I love you people and I love you enough to tell you the truth, so pay attention, right? And you say, 
Well, but, but you don't understand, Pastor. It should come across. Listen, God never, never checks with your opinion before dumping a load of truth on you. I know some of you going, well, I wished he would. He won't. He won't. It's his determination of what you need. Not your determination, here's willingness, your determination of what you want. Man, if God would have given me what I want, wanted, I'd have shipwrecked, shipwrecked my faith a long time ago. I'd have ran ashore. Because, see, sometimes what we want will actually hurt us. Come on. Every worldly person that wins the lottery gets to test that theory. They got what they wanted. We now know, statistically, that a great portion of them are in worse shape in five to seven years than they were before they won the lottery. Because they don't have the foundation to build financial stewardship. They're, they're begging God for $5, and when, he, when, he, when, when it happens that you give $5 million, you don't know what to do with it. If, if you are a numbers guy like me, and you get $5 million... Do you know what that should generate a month? Quick, do the math in your head. See, common interest today, if you can get it, is between 4 and 6%. Take the number that you have, multiply it by the number of the interest rate, okay? Divide that by 12, that's how much you get every month. You're saying, well, I didn't know that. You don't know how to handle that kind of money. You understand that, that $5 million could generate you $30,000 a month. Now think about that for just a second. $30,000 a month, a lot of money. What is your willingness? Because here's what, I'm, what, what I found out. Most people in that setting, now I had to deal with this a lot in Nebraska. I'm just telling you, people came in and begged me to pray with them to win the lottery. It was a common theme. They begged me, oh God, and then, and then they would always tell me they were going to tithe. I said, well, do you know how much tithe is on $5 million? Come on, do the math in your head. 500000 If you set your money aside, you only get 30000 How many months does it take you, divide the 30 into the 50, <laughs> how many months does it take you to tithe? You understand what I'm saying? It takes you about 15 months to tithe without touching the principle of whatever you got. Most people think they won't touch the principle, but they already defaulted by saying, well, I'm going to tithe. I'm going great. Write your $500,000 $500, check right now. Well, I don't have that money. Exactly. See, they're living in such future willingness that their today willingness is short-circuited by it. The only way they're going to be willing is if they get what they want. Yeehaw. Now, it's easy to talk about other people. But how many of us can identify inside ourselves when we're really willing when we get what we want? When we get what we want. Man, I'm willing if I get what I want. Because if I have it, the tithe doesn't bother me a bit. But if I have to plant the seed, and now not for lottery winnings, you cannot plant a seed of God that produces the greed that you're after. 
You cannot corrupt yourself to blessing. Okay? So if you're giving a tithe to win the lottery, you're not only foolish, you're giving yourself into poverty. How did we get here? Isaiah 1 verse 9, verse 18 says, Come, let us reason together. All willingness comes from reasoning with God. It's this question. Really, God? God says something to you? I I can't even count the number of times. I remember one time in in a... prayer line. I was teaching. I may have told this story. I, I try and withhold some of these things because they're just really personal, but, but in, in this case, it was just funny. I was using NIV study Bible. If you've ever seen an NIV study Bible, it's about 17 inches thick. I mean, it's huge. And every verse has some study stuff with it. So I'm using that one. I taught through the minor prophets that year using that Bible. And, and so we had this, this altar line. People came up in it. And I walked by this one person. I'm just walking, asking God, who do you want me to pray for? There's probably 10 or 12 people up there. And I walked by this one person, you know, going this way. And God says, hit her with your Bible. And I thought, that's not God. And so I got to the end and, you know, got nobody to pray for out of the 10 or 12 people. So I walked back the other way, walked by that person. And the Lord says to me, hit her with your Bible. Really? You want me to hit you, hit her with my Bible? I'm carrying my Bible. If you ever know, I don't come down front with my stuff. But I left the platform with my Bible that day. I'm not exactly sure why. And so I'm walking, carrying, you know, carrying my Bible like this. Walk by that person. Hit her with your Bible. Now let me just tell you something about willingness. The other person doesn't have to be willing. You do. (laughs) And so on the third time that I walked by this person... And God said, hit her with your Bible. She said out loud, just do what God's telling you to do. Okay, then. I was smarter than that. I said, where do you want me to hit her? (laughs) If you let your flesh get involved... You'll hit her in the way that makes sense to you using the parameters that make sense to you. So really, if you're going to tap somebody and you know anything about them, you know, like, like let's say that, that Miss Lonnie's had a shoulder surgery on the left side. Well, I'm real smart, you know. I'm going to tap her on the right side because I know that shoulder's probably okay. How many of you know that's just my human reasoning? That's not reasoning with God. Now, I wasn't the smartest pastor in the world, but I was already struggling with the instruction. And so I said, God, where do you want me to hit her? He said, right in the midsection and don't make it light. Now he's saying hit her hard, right in the gut. Well, I made another lap. Second time by, guess what she says? Just do what God, she get mad at me. Just do what God tells. And I just grabbed my Bible like this and turned around and I just hit her. I mean, I swung, man. Hit her right in the gut. And she went, like that. I think, well, that didn't do anything. How do you know? How do you know that doesn't do anything? Unless she's willing to share, you don't know what just happened. That's the part that's personal. You'll just have to think you can figure out who I'm talking about and go call them and see if maybe they'll tell you the story. 
because something left her at that moment. The point behind willingness is us, not everybody else. You do not need a crowd to be willing. I know some of you are going, well, yeah, but maybe. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Now, notice these next statements. Though your sins are like scarlet. How many of you recognize in your saved sainthood, occasionally you sin? You are not a sinner saved by grace. You're a grace-saved saint who occasionally sins. So he's saying, this personal interpretation here, you go get it for yourself. He's saying to us, even though you don't live perfect, reason with me. I've been in churches long enough to know that people want to have rules. Who can be in leadership in the church? Well, only people we approve of. And we approve of them based on whatever they do that isn't as bad as whatever we do. Come on. See, we don't put somebody worse than us in there. Why? Because we're not willing. See, I don't think that's God. So he let us reason together. And he takes care of the sin element. He says, listen, you will come to me with some level of sin activity, including in your own head. Most mature Christians don't sin out loud. They just think bad. I've always been in favor of having a four by five screen implanted in your forehead. Just imagine what people will see when they can see your thought process. Because many of us are not sinning out loud. You didn't come to church drunk this morning. If you did, it's okay. Jesus will be your deliverer. So hold on. You say, well, should we encourage that? Yes. We should encourage people to receive Jesus as their deliverer. Rather than judging them for whatever they may have done. See, that's what he's saying here. Let's reason together over this. You do not have a sin-free pastor. But I do not habitually to... Boy, see, I don't even want to say this out loud. How come do you have... God has to test my willingness. Do you understand that sometimes when you make announcements to the spirit world, God's listening? (laughs) He goes, let's see if that's true. (laughs) Now, he's not... He's not trying to see if it's true for him. He's trying to get you to see if it's true for you. Please don't miss this part. Many people think that, well, if God could, God can do that. Okay, but he needs to test your willingness to stand there. Prove, proving, right? Amen. So notice he says then in verse number 17, or number uh, 19, sorry, I read it wrong. Number 19, he says, if, notice the conditional nature of what he's about to say. If you are willing and obedient. We've always focused on the if obedient part. Obedience is only half the equation. Willingness is the other half. And if you're unwilling, you obviously will not be obedient. If you are obedient, it doesn't necessarily mean you're willing. Come on, you've seen this in your children. 
They did not pick up the toys in a manner in which dis that displayed their obedience to you. They picked up the toys in a manner that displayed their rebellion towards you. They were not. They did it. They picked them up. Same with listening. They didn't listen in accordance with their willingness. See, they weren't listening. They were trying to get you to shut up. Come on, if you've not raised teenagers and had that glossed over look on their faces when they want you just to shut up, they've heard this lecture. In fact, among the siblings, they've, they've numbered your lectures. They're not willing. You can't force someone to be willing. That's compulsion. Do you understand there's a complete difference if I walk up to you and say to you, can I please have all your money? Or if I stick a gun in your face and say, can I please have your money? Two, two, two different principles, right? One of them might be by compulsion. Are you tracking with me? Because see, it's different. Com compulsive willingness is actually a mental illness. <laughs> I love it when you people hear things that you've never heard before. <laughs> You're just smiling, paying attention, preaching, you go, what? If I can consistently compel Lola to be what I want her to be, she will be displaying a mental illness. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? You ever had anybody respond to voices that you don't hear? Ever been in a situation like that? If I compel her and she leaves my presence and she's still compelled by that, she's listening to voices that aren't there. I know some of you are going, I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while, Pastor, because... Compulsory acts in psychological spectrum disorders are called, anybody know what they're called? Come on. How many of you have one? Little OCD thing. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Have you heard that in the world? Obsessive compulsive compulsion when you get to that place it's kind of scary where you have to do something my favorite TV show is Monk anybody ever watch Monk? it's gone now, I love Monk in the opening credits he's walking by and he has to touch every parking meter while the music is playing okay you see there's a compulsion there. And there's an obsession with it. Again, anytime anyone can make it compulsive to you, where you have to act, you're on the edge of a mental disorder. Why is that important, Pastor? You, you took us all the way down there. Because the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. When you leave the mind of Christ, into, do you all understand that, that every part of you has a three-part existence? You have a blood-pumping muscle 
heart. You have a brotherly love heart and you have a heart of God. All three parts. The spirit is perfect. You have a normal brain that, that causes you to breathe without even thinking about it and all those other involuntary activities going on. And you have a soulish mind. This is what we're going to talk about today. You have a soulish mind and you have the mind of Christ. If someone can convince you in your soulish mind, it will always agree with the flesh. And you will become crazy. Now let me show you how this works. I have regularly heard voices that none of you heard. It happens to me every Sunday. Because God, the invisible being in whom no man has ever seen, speaks to me. In the mind of Christ, I don't deserve a rubber room. In the mind of my flesh, when I'm compulsed by another voice, I then belong in a spectrum of, a spectrum of mental disorders. Do you see it? So that's why God says it's so important for you to be willing to renew your mind. So James chapter 1 says, receive the word engrafted wherewith you'll be able to save your soul. Your soul is still waffling around trying to figure out who he's going to agree with. Whether he agrees with your flesh and eats 72 donuts when nobody's looking. Or agrees with your spirit and fasts their way through the 72 donuts. One of them's crazy, by the way. The other one, the world thinks is crazy, but the other one is Christ-likeness. Do you see the subtle differences? See, that's why willingness is so important. All right, great. So our problems don't stem specifically from what we do, right? Do you understand that what you do is not the problem? I know the, the world and the church, they say, oh, you can't do that. What you do always comes from the belief system that supports what you just did. If you actually believe, oh, well, God will forgive me, the belief system that minimizes Christ's likeness will allow you to sin because of the crazy that you have that God will always forgive you. God's forgiveness is present tense, active from a past tense behavior. Jesus has already done everything he's going to do to forgive you of sin. You were forgiven on the cross. Your present tense understanding of that does not require you to figure out how to sin carefully since God has already forgiven you. That's crazy. See, our willingness is tested in what we're willing to listen to. Matthew chapter 13 says, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, and they do not understand because their heart, King James, has waxed gross. Notice that seeing spiritually and hearing spiritually happens in your heart. And when your heart is waxed over, you cannot do it effectively. Well, what part of your heart? Your blood, pump, your blood pumping heart? Your heart full of man love and will? Nope. When that part of you waxes over the heart of God in you, you will make decisions apart from God. That's willingness.
Are we together? All right, here we go. So again, what you believe, this is Romans chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to go there. I've been threatening this for, for several weeks, and now we're ready. So what we see is not what hinders us. How we see it is what hinders us. Come on. When you see a world that is darkened and sin captive, if you don't see it right, you will fret and worry over the condition of the world. If you see it right, you will rejoice in the provision of God himself who sent Jesus to fix those problems. You will be in the light of God consistently. But when you step over into how you see what you see and you say, well, you know, pastor, it's just really ugly. It's getting darker by the minute. It isn't getting darker by the minute in my world. It's brighter and brighter till the noonday. You understand that the closer that Jesus gets, the closer we are to not needing the light of the sun and the moon. (laughs) He brings his own light with him. We are children of light. People say, well, but pastor, and I get this so often, and occasionally in in my one part of my my man, my three-part man, I want to slap people. Because they always tell me how terrible it is in the world. You can't believe the number of people who want to come up and tell me how bad the economy is. Do you understand that your economy does not function in a worldly way if you set your mind on the things of God? Well, but Pastor, you don't understand. I don't have enough money. Listen to how you said that. I don't have enough money. The problem with I not having enough money is how I spent the money they had. (laughs) But if everything belongs to God. I remember when, when I learned that God had problems. I don't see everybody frowns when I say that. Like I said, I just I love standing up here watching you after you know 25 years and say something silly like that. People go, huh? God doesn't have problems. Yes, he does. He's my father. He's responsible for me. Not for my stupid. He gives me grace and mercy for that. He's responsible for his provision in my life. God, <laughs> you have a problem if you're asking me to do this because we don't have enough money to do that. God says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of that. See, sometimes he'll test your willingness for months before he delivers the provision to do what he's asked you to do. But what do we do? We're looking for the provision. Well, it ain't here. God must not have meant that. Nope. See, your willingness to trust God when you can't see it is the definition of faith. You do not need faith. And by the way, that faith is based on a hope. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Without hope, you cannot have faith. Jeez, I hope God is actually speaking to me. Right? I mean, I really do. There's time. I hope God said that. And in that hope, see, don't move on that. Just wait for the hope to develop the faith you need to move. Yes and amen. Romans chapter 1, or chapter 8, please. (laughs) So, let me tell you what I want you to get so you can cooperate and get this. The whole purpose of soul willingness is to align our soul, our will, our intellect, and our emotions, to align them to godly thinking. 
Godly thinking should happen first before you start gyrating on how you can do something. And I don't care how small it is. You should, first of all, consider God. I I think in, in one of the services recently, I used the book of Haggai that says, thus consider your ways. We should consider our ways in every opportunity that we had have so that we can find what God is saying to us. And you say, well, pastor, I just don't know what that is. Well, then just tap the brakes for a second till you do. Right? You say, well, I'm sure that God wants me to do this. Okay, if you are, do it. But remember, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. And the good and perfect gifts produce a fruit that's recognizable to everybody around you. So if you do something and it kind of hacks you off and you live like you're miserable, I'll just tell you, you didn't have God's ways. Because God does not want you to be miserable. Well, Pastor, you, don't, you just don't understand this, Pastor. I've been stretched so bad and I hate it. Well, congratulations, because what you just said is the guy that's holding onto your heart and stretching it is God, and you don't like him. I'd rethink that. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. If I had a nickel, maybe even a penny, but a nickel I think would do it. If I had a nickel, somebody said to me, I just didn't understand. Do you understand (laughs) that when you don't understand, you fit in the Matthew 13 thing. You see, you hear, and you don't understand. I would encourage you to never suggest you don't understand. I would encourage you to, to suggest to yourself that you're always on the path of understanding. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you say to yourself, I'm on the path of understanding, then every building block of, of understanding that God gives you, you'll pick up. Oh, you'll say when you see it. Oh, this fits here. It's kind of like a... 22,000 piece jigsaw puzzle that God leads you to the piece that fits where you have your focus. Come on. Who's a puzzle putter together in here? Anybody do that? How many of you are obsessive about it? If it gets out, you stay up until three in the morning getting it done because you can't you can't leave the one piece out. How many of you are the tricksters who, when nobody's looking, put a piece in your pocket? Yeah, so maybe, maybe nobody does that, but somebody will now that I've given you that suggestion. Right. The point is, you focus on a, on a jigsaw puzzle piece, and you see that, and they do this, these devil-inspired puzzle makers, and they cut right where the colors change, so you can't see the little, little sliver of color that makes it fit in this one. And you just go, this one doesn't fit anywhere. Did you hear me? This one doesn't fit anywhere. Because you don't understand, you don't believe that piece fits. And yet, you took it out of the box that the puzzle came in. But you announced this one. What did you just do? I don't understand this piece. It doesn't fit anywhere. Pick it up. Handle it. Process it. Stick it in your pocket if you need to, because sooner or later, it's going to fit because it came out of the box of your life. Does that make sense? And so sometimes willingness, see, we look at that and we just say, well, that piece doesn't fit. Yes, it does. Keep turning it. Keep looking. How many of you have ever put together a jigsaw puzzle and had the boundary done? And then inside the boundary, you had like three pockets of things that you got done. And basically those pockets were started because the, po- the pieces didn't come apart in the box. I mean, you open your puzzle real carefully, right? And, and, and inside this, you know, 22,000 piece puzzle are like 10 or 15 or 20 pieces stuck together. And so you don't just dump it out. You carefully remove the pieces that are already stuck together. 
Those are the pieces you understand. Because God put them together for you. Keep the metaphor going with our spiritual life, right? You open the box of your life and go, well, yeah, like 22,000 of these pieces. A hundred of them are stuck together. Those are the parts you understand. But notice that when you get the boundary made, the pieces that you understand don't always fit connected to the boundary. You'll have to build the bridge from where you are to the boundary that God gives you. Right? See, that's what what understanding does. And all you need is like five pieces to hook together that go from the piece you understand and the boundaries you know exist to connect the two together. That's understanding in a spiritual way. Now, let's do it in our life. So there's certain parts of us that we understand, but it's not connected to the boundaries that God has given us. And so what do we do? We look for the straight line. We look for the pieces that will connect what we understand to what God says is the boundary. We fill that piece in right there and we go, oh, my word, that's how this works together. Right? Okay. Are you ready for Romans 8 yet? It's taken me four weeks to warm you up. If you say inside your, you're not going to say it out loud. I mean, you might say it out loud, but you'd be rude if you did. If you say inside yourself, the moment I start reading, yep, pastor, I already understand that. You will miss what's in this part. I don't care how many times you've read this. The willingness to tear it apart and make a straight line connection from where you live, the parts you understand, to the boundaries that God gives you is what we're talking about. We're looking for the straight line. We're looking for the connection that takes what you understand and connects it to the boundaries of the puzzle. Are we okay? Okay. (laughs) This is called living from willingness. How many of you know there are options to living from willingness? Look what it says. Verse number one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk, who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you understand one of the options of willingness is to live without condemnation? Okay, the straight line between where you live, the, the, the 22 pieces that are put together that include the stupid that you have, right? You say, how many of you know God just takes the stupid turns the piece and it becomes some wisdom for you. The, the, the subtlety is just, it's mind-boggling. Now, I'm not saying God uses sin to build your thing. I'm saying he takes that piece that you misunderstood and he turns it so you can understand it. God doesn't care if you drink alcohol. Some people say, you can't drink alcohol. Okay. Can I point out to you that there are scriptures that will help you understand this, taken wrong, you'll understand it wrong. (laughs) Okay, so God doesn't care if you drink. I didn't say God doesn't care if you're drunk. The implied understanding in there is not whether you can control it or not. It's whether in your heart, God has given you the permission as a boundary for your life. The boundary for my life does not include some things. Want to know why? 
Because God knows me better than you do and than I do. And so in my personal boundaries, you getting it? In my personal boundaries, some things I can't do. So for an example, if you come up to me and say, Pastor, I heard. Who did you hear it from? Oh, well, I can't tell you that. Well, then I don't want the rest of the story. Well, Pastor, I, I need you to go do this for me. Why? I have a couple of boundaries. I never move based on rumor. The rumor of your death is highly exaggerated. If you want me to consider something, point number one, tell me personally. Do not send somebody to do your work. You are not too sick to call the pastor. You're just too embarrassed. Call me. You say, well, but that's harder. Can't my wife call you, Pastor? Because they, No, because she's going to be moved by the emotion that the two of you had. And she's going to tell me a story that tries to manipulate me to do what she wants, you, wants me to do. Boundary number two. I don't receive any condemnation for that. It's very difficult for you to put condemnation on me. Because the Bible says, even if your heart convicts you, God is bigger than your heart. First John. Chapter 4, I think. Are you tracking with me? You say, well, I don't live that way. I am not moved by need. If you study the Bible, you will find that Jesus does not move based on need. He comes to people who are sick and he says, do you want to be well? What did he just ask them? Where's your willingness at? He's asking them, are you willing to depart from a lifestyle that you've supported by your own thinking? When Jesus told the disciples to feed the people, he knew it wasn't going to work. He said, what do you have? He said, give it to me. And he held it up to change the perspective as an example to everybody who was watching. And those five fishes and two loaves fed 5,000 men plus women plus children. And there were 12 baskets left over. Go figure. You understand that in seeing, you don't see. You did not see inside of that little boy's meal. You did not see inside of the sickness. You remember the guy that was sitting at the, at the, at the uh, pool of Shalom? I think that was the pool, whatever the pool was called. And, and <laughs> Jesus came and said, do you want to be healed? And he said, here's his limitation. He said, I have no one who picks me up and puts me in the water. And by the time I get down there, somebody already has been stepped into it. And the angel leaves. Well, what was you, man? Let's have a pity party that you're crippled in your legs and you can't get to the water. Here's a thought process. Why don't you move your bed down to the water and put your heels in it and wait for the angel to come? If it's dependent on you, do everything you can. Go down there and put yourself in the water for the next 17 days and wait for the angel to show up. But it doesn't depend on you. See, your perspective, the line between where you live and the boundaries that God gives you has been short-circuited by how you think. Because you live in condemnation. Well, I guess I just don't get this. Yes, you are on the way to getting it. Please don't fall over the chairs. Do you understand? You say, well, I just don't get that, Pastor. I don't understand how to operate in blessings of God. You have to be foolish not to recognize that God is always, always blessing you. But what do you say? Well, I don't know. I don't ever, I'm ne God never blesses me. You are a fool. 
You, you understand? Come on, are we together here? If you're, going to, if you're going to live in the options of willingness, you're going to have to deal with the condemnation that so captivates you every time you think you've done something wrong. How many of you get to a bad point in your life and say you should have prayed more? How many of you get to a bad point in your life and say, oh, I should have read more? How many of you think you need to memorize more scripture? Can I point out to you that memorizing scripture is a great thing? But you don't even remember what you had for lunch yesterday. And yet it still nourished you. I had toast and sausage for lunch yesterday. Want to know how come I remember? Because my wife came home from the grocery store and said, I bought something I really think you're going to like. Why did I eat the sausage? Because she said she did it for me. Man, thank you, Jesus, for the wife you gave me. I don't live in condemnation in my marriage. It'll help you if you just get your mind around it. Verse number one, are you ready? Who do not walk according to the flesh. The only condemnation that is available to you is when you walk in the flesh. Okay, you don't need me to tell you don't do that. Don't do that. You say, well, I just can't help it. See, that's another one of those willingness lies. You're willing to suggest that the circumstances that you're in are so significant that you can't stop yourself. Let me test that for you. Have you ever been able to say when a kid said, I just had to hit him back, I couldn't help myself? Have you ever heard anybody say, I just couldn't help myself from blessing him? I just had to give him all the money in my pocket. I just couldn't help myself from being Christ-like. I just had to sacrifice my life for them. Nobody talks that way except in negative ways. I just couldn't help myself, Pastor. You don't understand. I was trapped. First of all, the Bible says there's nothing that befalls man such that there's not a way of escape. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 or 13. Right? He provides a way of escape. Don't say you're trapped. Never trapped. Go read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul lists the 87 things that he went to. I was shipwrecked, man. I was beat 39, 40 lashes minus one X number of times. And, and I've had this and I've had that. And See, that's where Philippians comes from. This one thing I've learned. To be content, whether abased or full. So he learned that. Why? Where did he get that from? Willingness. I only got half the first verse in. I didn't realize I was out of time. Are you learning something? Because that's, that's, really, that's really the point here, is to get you to process these things from a different spiritual consideration first. Amen? Amen. All right, so maybe just read ahead, um, you know, half a verse, because that's what we'll get to next week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We are so, so thankful, Father, that in the midst of difficult times you teach us, in the midst of good times, you teach us. In the midst of not having needs, you give to us. In the midst of having needs, you give to us. So, Father, thank you today for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Center podcast. We post audio and video of our messages at newlifeeckley.com, and we encourage you to share our messages with others. Our main service begins at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, and if you can't be here in person, watch live at newlifeeckley.com live.